Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts of our hearts be acceptable to you through the blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Anger seems to be most everywhere you look in our culture today. I was listening to an NPR report on anger recently, and I, I quote from it. It can feel impossible to escape outrage nowadays. Anger is present across our screens, from TV news to social media. Comments on social media and cable news often give us reasons to be angry. Sometimes anger seems to be the whole point of it all. Anger, after all, draws internet clicks, which is to say that many people now have a motive or even a business model for getting you mad. Someone has said, anger is an addiction. We like it, the brain likes it, and we have become a country full of addicts, and the media and the ruling class seem to be the dealers in it all. Roman numeral one in your sermon outline, page seven of your bulletin. Anger is the new virtue. It's the new virtue. It used to be a vice. It's no longer seen that way. Anger is seen as a motivation to do good things, to address injustice. Letter A, is anger required to produce positive change in society? Many people believe so. They will say that the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s is an example. It was fueled by anger. I would disagree. It was fueled by love. Dr. King spoke of the beloved community, and he taught his followers well to resist injustice, but to do it peacefully and to be willing to pay the price to accept the punishment as a consequence and to not resist to the point of violence. It was about love, not about anger. And after all, if anger, if, if anger is what it takes to produce a good result in our society, whatever happened to love? Wouldn't love be a better motivator wouldn't love be a biblical motivation for addressing injustice and inequality? Letter B, human anger, and that's really the focus this evening. Human anger, while not necessarily sinful, is nevertheless dangerous. It is dangerous. Psalm 37, verse 8, the psalmist writes these words, Refrain from anger and turn away from wrath. 
it leads only to evil. Only to evil. In your third reading for this evening, Ephesians 4, verse 26, in your anger do not sin. Some translations read, be angry and do not sin. The implication here is, you're going to experience anger for one reason or another. An offense that may be real or imagined, but you will become angry. The point is, and Paul goes on, do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. The setting of the sun was the beginning of a new day. Well, let her see, what about righteous anger? Christians, many Christians seek to justify their anger in that way. This is righteous indignation after all. What happened wasn't right, and I have a right to be angry. Well, point number one, God alone can handle anger. God alone can handle it. So how does God deal with anger? Proverbs, or Psalms 30, verse 5. The psalmist writes that God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. And we see that in Christ. His favor endures towards sinners like you and me. His anger lasts only a moment. The Lord does not nurture anger. He doesn't tend it like a garden and allow it to grow. It lasts only a moment with him. But his favor lasts a lifetime. In Jonah chapter 4 verse 2 read just a few moments ago. The Lord is slow to become angry and abounding in steadfast love. And I love that term steadfast love. The Hebrew word chesed is, is a word that denotes love that will not cease. It just keeps going. That's our God. That's our God in Christ. So God alone can handle anger. He alone can deal with it. Point number two, we must repent of it. We cannot handle it. St. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, read earlier, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. It's easy to say, as we read last week, right? It's easy to say these words, but how do you do them? And he tells us, be kind, be compassionate, as a choice, do this to one another. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. And that's the key. That's always the key. It's always God in Christ forgiving us. If we find it impossible to forgive, it's because we have forgotten how much we've been forgiven. And that's why the gospel never gets old, nor should it. We need to hear it again and again. If for no other reason, then we need the reminder of how good God is to us so that we can find it in our hearts to share that goodness with fellow sinners. In James chapter 1, verse 20, James writes, 
Man's anger does not accomplish the righteousness of God. It doesn't. It does not accomplish God's righteousness. It gets in the way of it. So, uh, lowercase a, to Jesus, being angry and speaking insults against a fellow disciple is the same as murder. It's the same as murder. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit murder. Whoever commits murder shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, whoever is angry with his brother shall be liable to the judgment. He equates it, anger, with murder. Because if it goes unchecked, it eventually leads to that, at least in the heart, if not in actuality. And let her be extreme anger. Paul speaks of this in Galatians 5. The Greek word uh, thumos, it's really an eruption. Uh, it's an outburst of wrath. The wounds of the lepers. On January 22nd, 1999, Graham Staines and his two sons, Philip, age 10, and Timothy, age 7, attended a Bible conference in a remote area of India. And that night, Graham and his sons slept in their jeep. And just after midnight, several Hindu activists surrounded their jeep. These activists were opposed to any Christian missionary work in their area. They slashed all four tires of the jeep to prevent Graham and his sons from driving away. Then they broke out the windows of the Jeep, stabbing Graham and his boys with pitchforks. They set fire to the Jeep, and they used their pitchforks to prevent Graham, Philip, and Timothy from escaping. A couple of hours after their death, Gladys received a phone call that her husband's Jeep had been burned. That's all she heard. Three or four hours after that, she received another, another phone call, and she heard that her husband and her two little boys had died. Esther, their 13-year-old daughter, asked, What's the news, mother? Gladys replied, It seems that we are left alone. But we will forgive, won't we? Yes, mother, we will forgive. She later said, Those words, I will forgive, began the healing process in my life. When we forgive, we do not allow bitterness to take root in our lives. The leader of the gang that murdered her husband and sons received the death sentence, but the sentence was later commuted 
to life imprisonment along with other members of the gang. A reporter who interviewed Gladys asked her if she felt justice had been served. Gladys made no comment because, as she said, God establishes authority, including the government, which executes justice for society. She knew that she was not in the place of God when it came to vengeance, but she was in the place of God regarding forgiveness. Again, I read from Dr. Gibbs, there is a place for anger and for vengeance, but it does not belong to the disciples of Christ. That prerogative belongs to God alone. Vengeance is too dangerous a weapon to be placed in the hands of sinners like you and me. Anger belongs to God, not to us, and especially not to the disciples of our Lord. Anger is dangerous and quickly leads to sin. And we dispose of anger. We get rid of it, as Paul writes, by making the conscious decision to forgive the offender. If we wait to forgive until we feel like it, we probably won't. It is a choice. Forgive each other, just as God in Christ forgave you. Only then does the healing begin. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, amen.